Welcome to 84 Ounces to Freedom. I'm Mr. Cole. And I am the Sultan of Zanzibar. So Dave and I are here. We're in uh, the trailer that is not currently attached to the truck. It's raining like hell again, as is usual with our episodes. So you may have some background noise we apologize for. Um, that's nature. We can't stop it. We don't, we don't apologize. If you don't like it, fuck yourself. Yeah, there's that too. That's also definitely an option. Um, this is a little different Um, this episode we won't be trying to um, drink X amount of alcohol through it I am currently on a medication of course since I started a podcast together with Dave about drinking uh, I'm on a medication that won't allow me to drink and Dave is currently um, has dietary limitations so he's not drinking beer but he he does have a uh, I believe that's a Bloody Mary going. I'm still hammered, people. Yeah, so he's still he's still doing the work. But now, uh, ordinarily, when your doctor prescribes you a medication, particularly if it's for pain or something like that, and they say you should not drink with this medication, that means you should definitely drink with <laughs> the medication. Like basically, whatever it says, you should do the opposite because it will be amazing. However, there are a few exceptions. And um, hat tip to Mr. Cole for correctly identifying this exception and abstaining. But we're only abstaining from alcohol, not sex. Yeah. If anybody offers us sex, we're taking it. So far, that has not happened. It's early. Yeah, true. So I do have one thing I wanted to bring up. The last episode, we talked a little bit about a book I was reading Kirk Von- by Kirk Vonnegut. Uh, which was a non-fiction book of his. There's a spot in here that I kind of wanted to share. <coughs> if I can find it here. It's basically about being an optimist. And uh, I, I marked it here. If I can find the actual spot here. Oh yeah, here we go. So this is uh, page 189 from Kirk Vonnegut's Wompters, Fuma, and Grand Faloons. Uh, And this is Vonnegut here saying, uh, what actually happened when I was 21 was we dropped scientific truth on Hiroshima. We killed everybody there. And I had just come home from being a prisoner of war in Dresden, which I had seen burned to the ground. And the world was just then learning how ghastly the German extermination camps had been. So I had a heart-to-heart talk with myself. Hey, Corporal Vonnegut, I said to myself, maybe you were wrong to be an optimist. Maybe pessimism is the thing. Uh, I just thought that was very interesting. And um, what's weird is then he, he, like, talks about maybe America should try socialism at the end, which totally shocked me, so... Yeah, you know, after you go fight the National Socialists for a few years, maybe socialism's the way to go. I don't know. I had no idea Kurt Vonnegut was a World War II vet. I had no idea. That's his whole, the one of his most popular books, um, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, which I highly recommend to anybody, is, is like a science fiction-ish book, mm-hmm. but um, 
it also talks about the firebombing of Dresden, which he was there for. And it's... Uh, I, I've been told, and I don't know whether it's true, because, you know, you, you pretty much have to do your own fact-checking in any report that could be construed politically in any way these days, but I've been told that the fire bombings of Dresden killed more people than the the A-bombs as individual events on Japan. Yeah. The, the resulting true. firestorms in Germany were, were so fatal. Yeah, it was terrible. Terrible. And definitely very graphic in that book. Um, there's a lot of disturbing stuff from that. Yeah. So when I was, sorry, since we, since we ramble, it's like what we do. When I was in, I was the um, tender age of about 16. I was probably in the 10th grade. I had a lit teacher assign for us to read. Your teacher was drunk? Off of, <laughs> he was lit as fuck. Uh, oh, assign, for us to, uh, assign for us to read off of like an approved list. And one of the books that, I could have chosen and did choose to read was Hiroshima. The author is John Hersey, like the chocolate, but I think it's one letter off. John Hersey, I want to say. No H. And it's no H. it's an account of what it was like to be not in, you know, not a kamikaze soldier in the Japanese army, but just an ordinary dad or mom or, you know, person at Hiroshima when the bomb came down and um, I read it and pretty much that's that I I, I decided that uh, A-bombs weren't a thing that ever needed to be used no, uh, no qualifiers full stop and my dad and I via text message actually like debated this out a little bit recently because my dad didn't have that perspective and was taught sort of the same thing that I was taught in history that that the resulting surrender of Japan because of the A-bombs subsequently saved lots of lives compared with us invading Japan. True. And that was definitely what I was taught and always just made sense to me that, oh, saved lives equals better. Um, and my dad and I generally get along pretty well and, and we generally were enough alike because, you know, as far as we could tell, I'm half genetically him. Um, we normally agree on things, but we did not agree on this. And it was interesting. We debated it quite a bit and, and I do consider myself a master debater, if, if I may say so. <laughs> I've had lots of practice, but, um, I, I think maybe I... Um, I don't know if I changed his mind, but I think I gave him another way to think about it. And, and it always is when it comes to it, God, I'm like libertarian and political, like nine seconds into this recording, but, but whatever, like if you don't like it, fuck yourself. Well, you, you know that this argument, I've heard Glenn Beck make this argument and also <clears throat> the guy from hardcore history, uh, Dan Carlin makes this argument that the, the the more people you can kill, the quicker a lot of times will make a conflict be shorter. It will. Instead of like you look at like the Psalm in World War One, the trench warfare that lasted for years, you know, it people will argue, well, if they would have had a, a nuclear bomb, it would have shut that thing down in a day. 
like that that's probably true and and i'm glad japan is the way they are today and not the way they were in 1939 because japan has brought some amazing things um but what what you find with people at high levels of power in this case in like the department of defense you know in the in the circles around the presidency during wartime and and all that is they always think that well we have to do something and and maybe that's true maybe it's not but ultimately like invading japan the way we conquered iwo jima and tarawa and peleliu and all these pacific islands is what everyone at the time envisioned would have to be done because that's what we had just done to island hop our way and beat Japan all the way back to their own island. Like that's my grandfather fought in Peleliu. Yeah. And um I I my grandfather was like a coward and a draft dodger, but I have been on the navy aircraft carrier called the Peleliu out at sea. Oh, wow. Uh as the guest of a, a sailor. Um but at any rate, the 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 truth was, though, that by the time these nuclear events happened, Japan was beat back to their own island. They had already kamikazed essentially all of their aircraft into our boats. They had no ability to fight left. They were essentially a person that you've just kicked their ass in a bar fight and they're just this side of unconsciousness laying bloody on the ground in front of you. And, you know, maybe you have a little time to think. Maybe you don't have to proceed with um, getting their unconditional surrender in the next few weeks. Like, maybe, maybe an embargo is something you entertain or something like that that doesn't involve deliberately targeting um children you know the the day the bomb fell on hiroshima there were there were definitely japanese generals that were contemplating ways to kill us soldiers but you know what else was occurring like like there were chill, like there were little girls giggling and playing and there were you know grandmas probably looking with disapproval on you know, their granddaughter because their short skirt or, you know, all of the things that we fucking like, we, that occur in our lives that are ordinary, um, innocent things that make us human were also occurring in those places. And we vaporize those people. And I, I don't know, man, I just can't, I, I, no matter how much you want to couch it, Japan was no longer a threat to us in that moment. All right, I've, uh, you got to talk for a while, man. Cause... So I've I <clears throat> got a total separate um, subject, and you and you mentioned libertarianism, and uh, the I have freedom of speech issue. Maybe you care to weigh in on? Yeah. You know, I've been talking about the podcast Sword and Scale for about the last year. Dude, how is it possible that I haven't checked that out yet? Which is um, uh, a true crime podcast. Yeah. And last episode, we talked of their spinoff that he's doing with uh, 
Tyler Bell, Bell from Westside Fairy Tales and uh, Jack Luna from Dark Topic, two other great podcasts I really like. Um, they created Monstro out of that um, group. Those podcasts are now dead. They're gone. How so? So, I got up one morning and there was a, a thing on the face bizzle that said uh, the end of Sword and Scale and Monstro and there was a seven inch or a seven minute uh, speech some people might call it a rant but it, I mean it was fairly calm of Mike Boudet the uh, host of Sword and Scale and Monstro you have to be Mike I think we've talked about this right huh don't you have to be Mike to have one of these things? You got to be Mike to have a true po- true crime podcast. It's a fact. No, you got to at least yeah. someone has to be named Mike. Sometimes it takes two guys with Mike in their name. Indeed, uh, we certainly can't do it. Obviously, no. Um, but in the his kind of explanation, he blames uh, Aaron Mankey of Lore and uh, Robbie Chowdhury. I might have her last name wrong for the cancellation of his site, and he cites uh, censorship and says that, you know, censorship works. But, um, you know, what really made all his sponsors quit is it really censorship. We've had the argument before. um, A lot of hardcore libertarians believe in the ultimate freedom of speech, but, you know, yelling fire in a a theater when there's no fire is not okay. Yeah, that's a Supreme Court ruling, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, it's like, like... like freedom of speech but don't be an asshole you know what i mean um so i kind of i kind of wanted to see what um aaron mankey and this other person did but apparently their complaints were about him were based on other things mike boudet has done on social media um he uh he openly posted on one facebook thing some woman had asked him a question and he Instead of, like, direct messaging the person, he posted in the response, message me, also include naked pi- a naked pics Oops. in the attachment with the laughing face emoji, end quote. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I don't think that's Not a terrible, good idea but, in 2019. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but if you're openly saying send me naked, maybe if you, like, private message them, that would be okay. Um, also, if you're listening, please send me naked pictures. <laughs> Man or woman, I don't care. Yeah, I just want to see some naked stuff. Well, Penn Gillette does that all the time. He's like, please send me pictures of your cock. <laughs> Maybe not the cock, but... And, uh, um, send, me, send me some nice abs or something, and you know, I don't care. Another, another woman um, asked that he cover her story in the, event, in the event of her death, and he <coughs> replied, and I quote, and she died of mild heart disease and a slight high cholesterol diet, end quote. Uh, apparently an attack on her appearance is what most people thought. And he got really, people were fired up over that because yeah. it's like he's calling her fat. In his defense, he said, you know, I was just saying usually people die of really boring things. It's not always... It would be interesting to have yeah. the full context. So apparently I understand he did apologize and stuff but none of these two issues are what got his shows pulled the final straw was a a quote he posted and i'm going to read this verbatim and i'm going to tell you what day it was posted on and you'll understand he said on social media quote i don't understand dumb cunts 
maybe I should take one apart and see how it works. Oh my god, that's like very Jack the Ripper. It's hard to like <coughs> even use the C word ever in mixed company, let alone on social media. But this particular particular day this was posted was International Woman's Day. Oh, that's classy. So, I, was he exercising his free speech or was he killing his shows? Or, or did he did he think like did. In his he said, obviously, I mean, he said it's like his his. I mean, he doesn't res, in his seven minute thing. He doesn't talk about this specific thing. He talks about freedom of speech, and he says what he likes to say. And if people don't like what he has to say, his response is "fuck off." Okay, yeah. but I mean, I'm never in my life gonna post something like that on social media ever. I mean, I just I would I would never do it just out of. I, I know people will be pissed. Unfriend will happen. And I mean, I mean, don't you think? I mean, am I wrong? I mean, that I, that word is is sort of like I file it with the N word. You just don't do it. Yeah. And um, and I've seen and I'm not it's not even like I've seen comments attacking him on like when you when you see comments under the podcast and stuff and most people say they're great and everything and then you'll see other comments people attacking him for stuff he says and i'm like i follow him on facebook and other stuff but i don't really notice that he ever says anything that makes me feel that way but uh apparently he did it seems like he was trying to be inflammatory and controversial and we've had this argument before and not necessarily an argument but like when something happens with someone who's a famous person and all the advertisers pull their money because they don't want to be associated with someone because of what they've done or said. I mean, that's a form of freedom of speech too. That's why, you know, I have a song called censored that is about freedom of speech and has the famous Voltaire quote in the beginning. You know, I might not agree with what you have to say, but I'll stand up for your right to say it. But you thanks civic history teacher from Kelseyville High School a thousand years ago. Hat tip. But you don't um I don't know. It's it's their freedom of speech too to say, hey, I want to advertise with this guy or maybe not this guy. Yeah, absolutely. You, and that's when the end of the song I, the the lyric is freedom of speech is not a right in the USA. It's something you have to apologize for cuz that's the next thing you see. Everyone apologizes, but it's too late. All your advertisers have pulled their money and you're out of a job. Yeah, you almost, like, in order to, in the day of platforms, like, like the, whatever whatever this is going to appear on for a podcast, it's, it's probably going to mostly be known to other individuals because of a Facebook share. Like, ultimately, I'm going to share it, you're going to share it. Yeah. Everybody who knows it exists will know, know it for one of those two reasons, probably. And, um, like, Facebook is something we use without cost because they built it for us to use. And, and you don't actually have a right to free speech on that platform. You have a right to free speech, but you're going to have a hard time convincing me that you have a right to anything that involves an institution that didn't exist 12 years ago. Like that's not a thing that occurs. Right. So, so, you know, the people when I was in high school and, 
1998, you know, trying to get bees and finger fuck girls or whatever I was trying to do, I, I had a right to free speech. And in these platforms that we're all using now to share our, you know, stinky opinions, like what you're listening to right now, if you're unfortunate enough to listen to me bloviate, um, those didn't exist then. And so you don't, you, you know, fuck your right to say what you want on these platforms. They can shut you down because it's True. theirs. You're using it for free. You think that you're entitled to it because it's fucking sweet, but the the, the truth is you're not. But Facebook is a privately owned company, yeah. such as so is Twitter. They're a for-profit the corporation. The they, reason that any of it rules. exists is because it's making them rich. And the second that that ceases to be true, it will go away. And so, fuck you if you think you have a right to say what you want on someone on something that someone else built. That's not a thing that occurs. And and I said the same thing about the internet when it came to, um. Oh, Jesus, man, what's the what's the law that was gonna make companies not slow down internet on certain channel? I'll think of it. I should not drink. <laughs> but at any rate, um, you know, you you didn't lay that infrastructure that's bringing that information into your living room. You just didn't. Sure. So, you know, you you pay to use it, and and competition is a thing, and. You're going to have a hard time. Actually, you're going to have an impossible time because I've already thought it through. Convincing me that you were entitled to anything that did not exist when I was a little kid. Because when I was a little kid, life was fine and none of this shit existed. And you have a right to none of it because you can live a perfectly content life without it. Damn, you can't even get out of your bed without a phone nowadays. That's, yeah. I certainly can't. And that's the same reason that I shouldn't be paying for other people's cell phones. Fuck you if I'm paying for your cell phone. <laughs> so, uh, the uh, total opposite subject, Pabst Blue Ribbon. You're familiar. I've, I have i don't think I've ever drank one, but obviously... It, I'm pretty sure I have... Um, it's like it's a lager, right? I believe so. Yeah, I and, mean, and a lot of German people settled kind of in that part of the country. What is it like Wisconsin, Michigan? Where's PBR out of? I'm gonna Google that. Yeah, while you, you find that while out. You proceed. So they're coming out with a whiskey. A Pabst Blue Ribbon is working with New Holland Artisan Spirits to make a PBR whiskey. Uh, they have partnered with them in the past. In 2016, New Holland, New Holland distributed their beer through Pabst Blue Ribbon. Okay. So now uh, Pabst is partnering with them to do the reverse, and they're distributing um, their whiskey. Kind of makes sense. Uh, details are being kept pretty quiet, and we only know about it because the federal agency in charge of approving labels processed the label, which made it public rec record. Um Here's what we do know. Uh, the label says aged five seconds, which, as you know, <laughs> tells us it's most likely a white, unbarrel-aged whiskey. All right. So what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a free advertisement here in a second. But why would you want a barrel-aged whiskey? We all know that's how it gets brown, right? Yeah. And then and it gets a lot a of fla flavor, flavor from the charred profile. oak. Yeah. So the you you want me to go into the science of it? Well, sure. So 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 oak barrels are made out of cellulose, which is a sugar that's not sweet, it's not uh, water soluble, and it's not absorbable. 
um, as a nutrient to human beings. It's flavorless, tasteless. When you eat celery, you're eating a lot of cellulose. It passes through your gut as fiber. You shit it out. Um, however, you can do things to cellulose that will change that a little bit. Um, and, and heat does interesting things. So when you take an onion, it is bitter, tart. It'll make your... I believe my wife's cutting them in the kitchen as we speak. It will, oh, the yeah. onions will fuck you. They're completely unpleasant in every way when you're cutting a raw white or yellow onion. However, I can put it in a cast iron pan with a little bit of oil, um, put it on my barbecue at a low temp and run it for 20 minutes at 300 degrees and stir it occasionally. Um, that's really specific because I just did it. <laughs> and those onions will be browned caramelized and sweet to the taste so we have taken that unsweet uh sugar and heat has done something to it that has actually made it taste sweet and that's what happens when you caramelize onions and and caramel is one of the sweetest things you could eat and you you actually bring out a sweetness in the onion that was not there with heat now you can take a piece of french oak and make it into a barrel and burn the inside of it um, either to a deep char or some whiskeys like what I'm enjoying um, uh, right now. One of them I'm enjoying is Old Potrero Rye from Anchor uh, Brewing and Distilling in San Francisco. They simply toast the oak on the inside of the barrel and that makes sweetness come out in the oak that would not have been there without the heat. And then when you put whiskey in that barrel, whiskey contains water and ethanol, both of which are really good solvents for certain things. And the sweetness from the toasted oak can go into solution into whiskey and wine for that matter. Um, with time and the barrel aging process relies on the heating and cooling cycles of night and day in a in a warehouse that's susceptible to those heat and cooling cycles and uh heating and cooling of almost all solids uh causes expansion and contraction of those solids so as the wood heats it expands and as the oak expands it sucks whiskey into it like a sponge that's expanding in the presence of a liquid and as it cools in the nighttime it contracts and spits that whiskey back out into solution and when that happens a tiny little bit of the sweetness that the charring of the oak has caused is imparted to that whiskey. And that's why the longer that whiskeys sit in a barrel, um, the more pleasant flavors are imparted by that oak. Now, there's another component to it because whiskey distillation, particularly from a pot still, imparts um, fusel oils or 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 things that can have an unpleasant taste into the whiskey. And those things come out of solution in the presence of charcoal.
because charcoal is basically pure carbon and carbon is a six carbon or a, um, a so, so carbon is an organic substance that wants to bind with almost anything it comes in contact with. It's like polyamorous, uh, atom that is hungry to bind with like anything it can get and so the, the the charcoal deposits on the inside of a charred barrel love to bind with impurities in the whiskey that cause um unpleasant flavors so those two things are why uh barrel aging whiskey makes it nice and why it makes it expensive too because those these things take time so with this PBR white whiskey they got coming out, <clears throat> I've discovered a really cool company online. They're called BarrelsOnline.com. What they do is they make a white oak keg in several different sizes. Um, it comes charred to, I believe, level three, which is supposedly the level you want. It's got legs on the barrel and a spout to dispense from and a bung in the top. You want your bung. How many gallons? Up to five gallons. And here's the thing. It's it's 25 bottles of whiskey. Here's where it gets really cool. Barrelsonline.com will laser etch whatever artwork you want on the round end of that barrel. I'm making hand gestures today. None of you have to do it. They're five gallon barrels, 165 bucks shipped. I'll write the check right now. It's, it's, it's so cheap. Um, make, get some whiskey or if you, you know, I'm going to be doing some barrel aging online, hopefully this year. Um, it's just a really cool company, very affordable, and uh, that's a free advertisement. You're welcome, BarrelsOnline.com. Fuck yourself. <laughs> but seriously, that that's amazing. So, 160 bucks for the barrel etched, right? Yeah. And then what your... are they going to get for a bottle of the PBR whiskey? What do you think? It, it's it's it's, pro- it's a neutral spirit. It should be like rum pricing. It should be 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Why would it be more? But they even do smaller ones. So I mean, you could. And What's the, the label look like? I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna Google it while we're talking. The other cool thing is, you know, the smaller the barrel, the shorter time it has to barrel age. Yeah, it's a surface to volume. Surface to volume ratio. Exactly. That's a thing. Yeah. So if you're doing a small amount, it's gonna be ready much quicker than if you're doing a large amount, which is good to know. Um, I also have another beer topic. <clears throat> About uh, Jane Austen was a brewer, which not everyone was original. You familiar with her uh, work at all? Yeah, um, I've read at least one of her books. I have read, but it's kind of heavy reading, kind of like Edgar Allan Poe. If I'm reading that, I need it to be quiet so I can really concentrate. But this article was in the Vintage Brewer. Qu- quickly, I, I believe that's what it's going to look like. Oh, nice. Yeah, see, it needs barrel aging, clearly, because it is a clear whiskey. So aged in five minutes means not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. Unless they have some barrel stave filtering system that they force it through or something. Yeah. But uh, this article I read was really interesting. Uh, It lists women have been instrumental in the production of beer from the dawn of time. Originating from Mesopotamia, most of the first brewers were all women. Due to the uh, industrialization of the process, men dominated the factories. Before that, brewing beer was a necessary and practical chore for most women. Water treatment and purification was necessary as uh, water carried diseases due to pollution. It could kill large amounts of the population, too, like 
the Black Plague and all that stuff. Sure. So boiling and fermenting water uh, produced a much safer beverage that wouldn't make people sick. Uh, every member of the family drank beer, even children. Uh, the most common beer was what they called a small beer, you know, which typically ranged from like 0.05% to 3, so very low alcohol. So it wasn't um, necessarily a let's get drunk thing. It was uh, to keep people from being sick, really. And, and Anchor Brewing in San Francisco makes small beer. Do they? You can buy it. I've, I've purchased it in the past for evenings out where i had to drive but i wanted to have a few beers it's this is under three percent this is a beer we should be drinking when we're trying to consume 84 ounces no, in an fuck episode. That. No, it's perfect fuck, fuck that we're going we're gonna go we'll go belgians <laughs> or ruination um but these smaller beers allowed people to be able to function throughout the day and still drink oh yeah cool anchor steam Jane Austen was known to brew her own beer. Born in 1775, she spent her life in England. Uh, she wrote six novels about um, women, uh, ranging on uh, marriage and social and economic reasons. Uh, she proved she was not dependent. She never married, but managed to support herself with her work. Her family was known for making beer, meat, and wine. Her specialty was spruce beer. Uh, spruce it's from the root beer family made with molasses and hops and had hints of pine which since the spruce beer that you know like on a pine tree the little new growths parts yeah. that you're cutting and taking those and using those in the boil it doesn't sound good i know in a letter to her sister uh she said quote it is you however in this instant that that have the little children and I that have the great cask for we are brewing spruce beer again, end quote. Uh, the spruce recipe that she originally made is gone, uh, but their mead recipe is still available. Uh, there's, a, there's a place where you can get that recipe, I'm sure on the dot com. I'm pretty sure I read either Pride or Prejudice or Emma. I'm not sure which one, but I have here written down a spruce beer recipe that i'm gonna use and you're I'm gonna, gonna do it i'm gonna do it yeah i'm gonna make a use a scottish ale yeast that is gonna be for the event in uh november in ukiah okay now that beer they say needs to age like six months because it's really harsh at first so bottle aging is important it's, it sounds harsh man like it does well we're going to find out, and if anything, it's going to be different, more different than anything else anyone has there, except for maybe uh, that beet beer. I have to confess, I don't even know what a spruce tree looks like. I'm going to look it up real quick. It's like a pine tree, I think. Is it a, is it a coniferous I evergreen? So. Here, let me look it up. I'm pretty spruce. sure. Spruce. Dude, my phone is listening, by the way, because I had SPRU, and it was trying to get me to, to go forward with spruce beer. So it's fucking listening. It knows everything like, we do. Fuck you, man. Yeah, definitely a pine tree. I don't know, man. I'll try anything you put in front of me, but it's possible that some things are just weird. The other thing I'm going to make for the Ukiah one is a, a lemon head beer that I'm perfecting. It'll be, it'll be like a citrus mild ale. And I'm thinking of doing the beer we did for Ruby's Party a few years back. That disappeared. People liked that. The McPeedy. 
Is that what that was? McPeedy, yeah. I, th- I think uh, I think we'll do that beer again because that was a great beer and it's not Maybe like... a little bit less on the peat. I was thinking more. Oh, my God. <laughs> it doesn't take much, man. I mean, I don't think we overpowered it. I so th- what, I think... tell me what it was like introducing the peat into that because it's been a minute and I've forgotten. The, the, most people that make beer, the ingredient is called peated malt, which kind of gives uh, scotch its flavor. Um, I think... It, it kind of smells and tastes like Band-Aids to me, but that's just my opinion. There's an iodine quality to it. Yeah, right? so... Like, like, we could sip some Laphroaig 10. And, and most beer. people that have made beer with a peated malt say they would probably do so again later in their life when they're close to death, just in hopes that they don't have to actually drink it when it's done for many. I don't agree. And I thought it was really good. And, yeah. But we were kind of conservative with the peated malt, so I might... I might go a little heavier, but if also on the bill is a spruce beer, it might be wise to go mellow. That's like your chaser. Yeah. Like, like the spruce fucks you, you so hard. the spruce that... beer, try this. Oh, you didn't take that? Well, I've got a citrus lager that maybe <laughs> you might be able to wash your mouth out with. <coughs> All right. Try not to cough. If I break into a coughing fit, people, I, like I have tuberculosis or something, I'm trying to <laughs> kick it, but... If I go in, it's because we've been talking about Pete, and I need scotch, and I can't stop coughing. I got the black lung, Poppy. <laughs> Clint might have to carry this thing for 90 seconds so I can get something in front of me. Oh, man. So we were talking earlier about... Wait, first of all, can we... Yeah. Well, we're talking about Pete. So, um... Peated malt. We could actually, if you if you wanted to... So you can buy Pete on Amazon. Um from Scotland just a brick of peat it looks it looks almost like a doby oh wow and you know it'd just be a chunk of it then we don't we have to smoke it or yes. something yes then you have to build a fire and you have to somehow have a firebox which i have an extra wood stove that's just sitting in my barn not hooked up to anything and then you'd have to chimney that into a smokehouse which could just be a plywood box with shelves in it, True. with screens that you could lay out your grains on. And then you build a, a, a neutral smokeless fire, charcoal or something like that, and then throw those peat bricks on it and then cut the oxygen back so that it sits there and smokes. And that's what they that's how they peat smoke uh, grains for scotch whiskey. Scotch. Um, I sound like such a tourist. Scotch whiskey. <laughs> um, at any rate... It's totally doable at your house by yourself with a hundred bucks worth of shit that I mostly probably have. And we could do it on our own if you want to. It would be fun. And literally the Pete is like 30 bucks on Amazon that I think would be like worth the experience. It'd be fun to do. And we could shoot video. We could definitely shoot video. So if you don't know, I do have a YouTube channel. Dave is a, on it all the time. Every beer I make, I shoot an episode. It is called Mr. Cole's Home Brew. You can see every beer I make step by step. And then at the end, Dave and I drink it and critique it. Uh, we also give you dates and times where we'll be at actually pouring the beers. So typically two events a year is what we've been doing so far. It should really be called Mr. Cole Award-Winning brewer sometimes not so much in the ukiah <laughs> i seem to do well in lake county but in ukiah i'm like 
there, there's some t- stiff competition over there. Dude, your shit was dynamite, and some of the other shit was dynamite. I, I, I actually thought that Crazen Hell or that Raspberry. I thought either one of those could have won. But. Raspberry wheat last year is quite a beer. That is an excellent beer. Mike and I were were talking yesterday, and we were reminiscing about that. That needs to uh, that needs to repeat. I was. I went out to my freezer this morning to get a brisket that I had in there because tomorrow's my my son's birthday and I'm going to cook it tonight. And um, there's a bag, a, a Ziploc of frozen raspberries in there that are for beer. When you're ready, oh cool. Let me know. We'll just do it. I don't know. It's no. I don't know how many you need, but I think I used seven pounds. I was going to say it was one. six it was pounds, lot. and that's not quite six pounds, but and I think that was what screwed me on the judges. Because when the judges came through, <clears throat> there were a couple of them that drank it and were like, wow, this is perfectly balanced. This is great. What? How do you do it? Well, fresh raspberries. Oh, really? How much? Seven pounds. And they're like, oh. And they write something down and walk away. And I think it was their brain calculating. Because the winner gets to make a beer with a main with a major brewery and they upscale your beer and they're thinking oh seven times 100 we're gonna need a ton i had no idea that that played out but I, that's i think that might have been totally part of what a got point me. yeah like that's to recreate they're like to recreate this beer it's gonna kill us on the ingredients well you know the guy from omira was gonna do a raspberry yes. beer he told me he was gonna mike was said he was gonna do it Mike's my next door neighbor, by the way. He has a raspberry uh, farm, and he's he's a good guy. Um, it never happened, but what he wanted was fifty pounds, which still isn't that much. Yeah, the best for... price. Um, Mike kind of told me that they talked. The guy whipped out a calculator and started calculating what amount of money he could spend, and he said, "Can you do it for this per pound?" And Mike's like. Uh, no. He's like, okay, I'll just get, uh, what do they call it, concentrate. Yeah. And the conversation was over. Like, he just knew his economics so perfectly for making a beer to be profitable. It, the pounds that he would need would have to be this dollar amount, or he couldn't do it. Right. And uh, it didn't work. It's just a cold, calculated math problem yeah. at that point. See, yeah. if I were Mike, I would have given them to him with stipulation that you use my, my farm's name. Well, I mean that. I mean that sh- seems like that could have been a, a conversation. Yeah, it's what I would have done. Just for advertising. Who knows? Maybe. Mike's a successful businessman, and I'm not. So yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely know how to spend money and lose it. I'm not. I just show up for work every day to get it. <coughs> Jesus, man. All right. You think you can carry this for a second while I go get some cough medicine? Yeah, I think I can actually pause and un- come back. Let's see what my deal is doing. Stop. Okay, we're back. <clears throat> All right, we're back. Um, this is the Sultan of Zamzabar here, talking trucks. We have yeah. invaders. Here you go. So, just to um, wrap up here, a light-hearted story. It'll turn off in a second. Just to turn... Tur- to wrap up a lighthearted story, um, something that happened this week that I thought was fun. So my daughter Ruby is four; she'll be five in a few weeks, and um, she's a charming four-year-old girl and does everything a four-year-old girl is supposed to do, including drawing cute pictures. That um, she has this desire to 
send to people. So we've mailed my mom pictures in the past for the refrigerator, and I think that I think she's got them up. And um, basically, without being prompted, Ruby did a really cute thing that I want to share with anyone who will listen because I think we should all start doing it. It's fun. Um, she got a hold of some mail that was from my work that was a solicitation for a donation because my work is is a hospital that's a nonprofit and they do a lot of charity work and stuff like that. So she she saw that it was from my work. She she can read enough to identify that and asked if she could open it and I could see from across the room that it wasn't a paycheck, so I told her to let her rip. And so she did and then what what ensued then I was I was not parenting, I was like doing dishes or something. Is it had a self-addressed like prepaid envelope to send back something for charity and what what happened then is she took one of her pictures that she had drawn of you know a bug or a unicorn or something that four-year-olds would draw and put it in this envelope sealed it and then where the return I don't even know if she understands what a return address is but she just wrote the only word that she knows how to write which is ruby <laughs> and handed it to me and then all I had to do then was put it in a mailbox and it would go get mailed back to so Morgan at work if you ever listen to this like when you get four year old drawings from Ruby those are for my daughter and I'm sorry that it I guess wasted postage in an envelope but I couldn't say no because I thought it was funny and I now let her whenever we get mail that's a bill like we pay all our bills online nothing gets there's not a scenario where I'm ever going to mail anything basically in 2019 maybe Christmas cards but I essentially just let Ruby draw pictures and put them in prepaid self-addressed envelopes now and we just put them in the mailbox so some poor poor person in a cubicle somewhere will open it up Anyway, if you have a four-year-old, do it. It's funny, it's cute, and, you know, it's it's wasteful in a way, I guess. But those poor people that carry the mail, they just need something to do. And you're paying them the same either way. Cool. And, um, anyway, that's our podcast. Yeah, you know, so we talk trucks. That's all we talk about. If you don't like trucks, fuck yourself. True. So I did mention uh, my YouTube channel, Mr. Cole's Homebrew. I just wanted to also mention... A lot of music that uh, is so underground, the underground doesn't even know about it, is played there. Bands like my friends, Church of the Seventh Angel, Uncle Daddy. Then, of course, my bands, The Word and Captive Bolt. Uh, Future episodes and coming soon, you'll see music from my friends in All Orange and from my new band, uh, Everlasting Faint. There'll be some music on uh, got a dark side cider coming out. That'll be the next one. You'll be able to hear some of that. If you have questions and opinions for us, uh, email us at 84ounces2freedom at gmail.com. Include naked pictures. Yeah. Uh, mark those Dave so he knows. Um, and that's the numbers 84, the letters OZ, the number 2, and the word freedom at gmail.com. Hit us on the face bizzle and the Twitter sphere. Uh, we're not in on the gram yet. Uh, you have to be super cool for for that. And I don't get Instagram as 
well as I do. Uh, I kind of get Twitter, and I really get Facebook, which is I, for old people. I pin lots of tweets on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> You're so full of shit. Uh, thanks for following along with us. Um, we didn't drink anything this time, so if you did, congratulations. Uh, we're on pretty much any platform you listen to podcasts now. Uh, Anchor is a super cool app we've been using to do our podcasts, and uh, we're everywhere you want to hear uh, podcasts. Oh, we're also on the Patreon, which I haven't completely figured out yet, so apparently there's some way you can send us beer money on there, which is always appreciated. And uh, until there will be some stuff for you guys as soon as I can get them to help me figure out the tiers. Um, I haven't figured out how to do that yet, and support has not answered my question sufficiently. So we're working on it. Mr. Um, Cole donates a lot of beer to a couple of different charity events every year, so you should donate some beer money back to him. Yeah, true. So thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you... I'm not going to say next week because that doesn't always happen, but we'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Be there or be nowhere. I guess we don't see anybody. We'll, you'll hear you don't us. want to see us. You'll we hear sound us. better than we look. Yes, you'll hear us next time. Thanks again, guys.